Hello! Welcome to Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Weldon. Today, we're bringing you the next installment of the Wilderwood series. This is the second part of Chapter 7 of Book 2 of The Wilderwood, an original multi-part story co-written for you by Daniel Hines and Joseph Montebello. The Wilderwood is a fantasy serial, which means that it's a really long story that we've been telling in sections for a while now. If you haven't already, make sure to go back and listen to the first parts of The Wilderwood, including the first part of Chapter 7 released last week, so you can get all caught up. If you would like to support Stories Podcast and get every episode ad-free and two weeks early, subscribe to our Wondery Plus Kids feed on iTunes or your Apple Podcast app. We also have Stories Podcast merch available at storiespodcast.com shop, and now we're on Cameo. Check us out over there if you'd like to get a personal video message for someone special. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Stories Podcast. If you send us a drawing of your favorite scene or character, we'll share it on our feed. Now here's a word from our sponsors. Hey, grown-ups. On the Nintendo Switch system, you can team up with friends in Super Mario Brothers Wonder. Where you can meet talking flowers. Life's full of surprises. And where piranha plants sing. And where Mario, Luigi, and Peach turn into elephants. Wowie zowie! And where this announcer turns into a... Super tiny announcer! <laughs> That's not in the game. <clears throat> Sorry, got a little excited. Nintendo Switch, the home of Mario and friends. Game rated E for everyone. Game and systems sold separately. Hey parents, our podcast partner Starglow Media is running a special giveaway for Stories Podcast listeners from our friends at Lego. You can enter now for a chance to win a $500 Lego gift card. There are sets for all of your child's interests and even adult sets to treat yourself with. Here's how to enter. Either check out Starglow's Instagram page at starglow.media or head over to their website, starglowmedia.com giveaway to drop in your email for a chance to win. Winners will be randomly chosen on April 1st and announced on the Starglow Media Instagram. Happy listening! Thanks! Enjoy the episode! The Wilderwood, Book 2, Chapter 7, Part 2 Nezzy was floating in a cold darkness. She couldn't move or talk, but she could hear the sobbing sorbus trees crying. The pain of the Wilderwood was all around her, through her, in her. Somehow, she managed to pry open her hand, and the voices shrank down as they swirled together, gathering in her palm. When she closed her hand around those voices, she felt their heat like a sun-warmed stone. I'm here, she thought. There must be something I can do. Her hand glowed orange and beams of white light escaped between her fingers. I'm here. Suddenly, her dream ended and Nezzy sat up like a bolt. She was on a stone floor in a dark room and her head was heavy with a nasty bump. She thought she was all alone, but then ten faint lights, like wisps of fire, appeared and reached up. Ugh, Harks groaned. Remind me not to sleep under a rock slide next time. Nezzy felt as bad as Harks sounded, but she had to laugh a little. They were in trouble, but at least they were together. A flicker of firelight could be seen in the gloomy distance, down a big hallway. The floor and walls of the cell they were in had been dug out of natural stone. 
The wall facing the hallway was made of iron bars set close together with a thin barred gate. They were prisoners. There was a skittering sound that reminded Nezzy of a mouse locks chasing a bug, and suddenly there was a soft glow beside her. It looked familiar to her, but Harks recognized it first. Fries! Oh my god, Fries! How did you get in here? Are you okay? He must have followed us, Nezzy said softly. He must like us. Nezzy had a sudden realization. It's more than that. We were the first people he saw when his egg hatched. I think, I think he thinks we're his parents. Harks laughed and was about to speak again, but Nezzy held up a hand. She heard voices outside the room, along with heavy footsteps moving towards them. As the noises grew closer, the salamandrake scurried away into a dark corner of the cell. I don't see why we don't just eat them and be done with it, said a whiny voice. Because, Smush, you can't eat all your problems. The second voice was deeper than the first. Oh, yeah? Name one problem I couldn't eat. There was a sly, throaty giggle. Oh, oh, oh. remember that rock with moss on it? You thought it was a candor melon. Oh, here we go. It's always the same. I try to eat one rock and you never forget it. Besides, that weren't no problem until after I bit it. Don't matter anyway. That big short troll, what's his name? Grezzo? Grezzo says we can't eat anyone we catch until he sees him first. He says there's some of what he wants to take him to his boss. His boss? I thought he was the boss. He's always bossing the rest of us around. Well, Lash is smarter than the rest of us put together and he says the troll and his boss can keep us safe from the mountain dwarves. That's why we do what he says. There ain't any dwarves in these woods, and that's good enough for me. Good enough for you, because you never fought the little buggers. I did. They're small, but they're stronger than most other people, and meaner. They're not as scared of anything, and they're quick with those axes. If they find out we're here, all the woods in the world won't keep them off us. Plus, they taste terrible. Chewier than humans, and not as much flavour as your halflings. I'd rather have a pixie pie than eat a dwarf. I ain't never had elf before, though, so we'll see about that. Once Grezzo talks to him, we can invite these two to dinner. Crush thumped the wall of the cell. How's that sound? Would you like to come to dinner, you two? There was a sound of stone dragging across stone, like a slow roll of thunder, as the gate slid open. Nezzy found herself backing away from it, up against the far wall with harks. The sorceress set her hands ablaze and Nezzy tried to prepare some magic of her own, but her heart was hammering, her nerves tight and shaky. She reached down and found that her wand was gone, along with all the gear that both of them had carried. What are we going to do? She thought. But things got much worse when the huge shadows of her captors fell into the room. Ogres! A pair of giant ogres with muscles like pond scum scraped over boulders. Here you go, nice dinner for ya, said the one called Smush, and she dumped something out of a basket. It sounded like chunks of wood bouncing off the floor. One of them rolled toward Harks. She grabbed it eagerly, held it close to her face, then dropped it. Oh, you know we can't eat rocks, right? Crush had just set a bucket of water down, and now he roared. The sound was incredibly loud and terrifying, and Nezzy was sure that they had angered the ogres and were about to be destroyed. 
The noise went on for at least a minute before Nezzy realized that Crush wasn't yelling in rage. He was laughing. Oh, <laughs> did you hear that one, Smush? She might be your long-lost niece or something, both of you being from that rock-biting clan and all. <laughs> Crush found this hysterical and continued his loud laughter while Smush tried to shove him aside. I'll have a bite of that one at least. Maybe just an hand and some of the arm. That fire looks nice and spicy and no one would even notice it was gone. Besides, she deserves it after bringing up beating rocks. Smush stepped towards Harks, who started to raise her hands. Nezzy knew that things were about to go very badly. Harks could hurt the ogres, but then the ogres would hurt them even worse. She fought through her nerves and called up a simple bit of magic, something she'd learned gardening with her mother. She curled her hands into fists, then opened them while she blew out of pursed lips. A small cloud of pollen puffed up and out, spreading unseen through the room. The spell worked, a little more than she wanted it to. Both of the ogres breathed in some of the cloud, and Harks must have gotten some as well. The sorceress let out a series of high sneezing sounds. Achoo! 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 And the fire on her hands went out. Smush snorted and gurgled miserably as the pollen made her nose run and her eyes water. Crush had still been laughing at his own joke, and he breathed in the biggest dose of it. He thumped heavily to the floor, coughing uncontrollably while still laughing and trying to catch his breath. <coughs> I must be allergic. Just being in here with them's giving me the schnozzles, <laughs> Smush said. She wiped her nose with her hand, then grabbed Harks and Nezzy, holding them under one arm while she looped a rope around them and pulled it tight. She hung the rope over her shoulder and the two friends dangled down her back like mistreated dolls. Crush sat up, laughing and coughing, and crawled out of the cell behind them. I got the schnozzles too, but it was worth it. <laughs> oh, wait till I tell Thump and Pound about meeting your little cousin on the stone chomp side of the family. I'll just be happy when Grezzo's through with questions and we can eat him. The ogre started walking down the tunnel. Nezzy felt Harks trying to wriggle free of the rope, but it was hopeless. The rope was thicker around than Nezzy's arm, and the way they were tied pulled it tighter with every step Smush took. They were tied tight together, so the sorceress wouldn't dare light up her hands for fear of burning them both. Harks snuffled and spoke softly so the ogres wouldn't be able to hear. I don't know what that magic dust was, but thanks. Save me from them trying to take a bite. Usually druids use that spell to pollinate plants, but it works pretty well as a sneezing powder, too. Any plans for getting us out of this? Not yet. Harks leaned her head against Nezzy. I wonder if the rest of the crew is looking for us. Nezzy thought for a minute about her friends. They'd probably try to come and help but she didn't know how they could possibly break her and Harks out of an ogre's cave. They were being carried through the dark halls of some kind of cavern, and it seemed endless and winding as a labyrinth. In some places, the stone walls gave way to packed dirt. The only light came from the smoldering torches hung from the walls here and there. Crush had settled down and stopped coughing so much. I hope Lash doesn't lose his temper on these two. If he does, there won't be enough left over to make a dumpling, never mind soup. Smush cocked her head far to the side, thinking harder than she was used to. Well, Lash does get hot under the collar sometimes, but 
He's not one for missing a meal. So long as Grezzo don't want to take him away, we won't go hungry tonight. There was a sudden crash. Crush had flung a heavy iron-bound door open with such force that it seemed the whole cave shook. There was a dizzying moment when the rope swung up over the ogre's shoulder. Nezzy saw the high stone ceiling of the room, almost lost in the darkness above them. Then she and Harks were set down on their feet, facing towards the largest ogre yet, the one she thought must be called Lash. Here they are, and not a bite missing, just like you said, Lash. Crush looked the girls over carefully, as if to make sure he was remembering that correctly. The one they called Lash sat on a bench, facing the large, roaring fire that was off to Nezzy's right. He was enormously tall. Even taller than Gothak, Nezzy thought, and wide enough to choke a pitworm. He held a short sword in one hand as if it were a pocket knife, and a thin sorbus limb in the other. He kept his eyes on his work, carving strange, tangled patterns that stretched the full length of the branch. Took your time, though, didn't you? Here, Thump, you come and hold the rope. That way these other dopes can get out of my face. There were low chuckles from several of the other ogres in the great room. Make sure it's nice and tight, too. The girls were yanked sideways. Lash held his right arm out. The short sword pointed at Nezzy, but his eyes were on Harks. Here, then. How's that look? A bit crispy, innit? He made it sound like a joke, but Nezzy could see that the ogre's arm was badly burned. Harks must have burned it before they had been captured. She could feel her friend shaking a bit with fear, but even that didn't seem to be able to stop her tongue. Oh, that was just a quick seer, Harks said. Untie me, you ugly lug, and I'll give you the full souffle. Ha ha, feisty, Lash chuckled. But a bad cook ends up in the soup. That's what me old dad always used to say. His evil grin showed off huge, jagged teeth. Nezzy could see that Harks was about to open her mouth and get into even more trouble. She knew she had to do something to protect her friend. Um, Lash? Are you, are you Lash? I can help with your arm, you know, Nezzy said. The one called Thump yelled, Shut your face, owl! and yanked on the rope again. But I can. I'm a druid. We know lots of healing spells. Nezzy tried to sound confident and powerful. If you'll let us go, I can make the pain go away. A month's worth of healing in just a minute or two. Lash squatted down and leaned forward until his nose almost touched Nezzy's. Heal it, can you? Go on then, heal it. Nezzy shook her head. I need my hands to cast the spell. Right, and she needs her hands to burn the rest of me up. Lash was loud and angry, but Nezzy could hear the note of fear in his voice. He looked from Harks to Nezzy, then back down at his arm. Here, Thump, get hold of that one's hands and squish him to jelly if she tries anything. After a moment of fumbling and snarled orders, Nezzy and Harks were tied together, front to back, with the rope around both of their waists. Harks's arms were stuck between them, so if she tried to use her fire magic, she'd only burn Nezzy. Nezzy's arms were free. She tried to turn toward a large bucket one of the ogres had set by the fire. It took a minute for Harks to catch on and move with her, and they stumbled a little, making the ogres laugh. The wooden bucket was half full of foul gray water. Nezzy took a deep breath and then another to clear her mind. 
she started chanting a spell under her breath, stretching out a finger near the surface of the water. She drew circles in the air, her fingertip glowing a light green. The reflection of her glowing finger seemed to stir the surface of the water and the little waves moved around the bucket. There was a grunt of surprise from Lash when she lifted her hand and a thin, clear stream of water flowed up from the bucket, leaving the dirt and grime behind. The liquid draped lightly over her hand. It was like a glove made of glass, but flexible as cloth. She passed it over Lash's burned arm, still chanting. The water seemed to evaporate away, and as it vanished, the wounds healed. She passed it over once, twice, and by the third time, the water was gone and Lash's burns were nothing but a scar. Well, ain't that something? Lash held his hand up and looked it over suspiciously, but Nezzy simply stood and waited. She knew that her healing had worked. There you go! All better! Now, let us go! <laughs> Harks's voice was cheerful, but a little strained, and Nezzy knew she was working hard to hide her fear. Without warning, Lash stood and threw a punch at Thump, who dropped the rope as he fell to the ground. Lash opened and closed his hand. It is better! Lash looked at Nezzy with something like a smile on his face, and she could see his realization before he spoke. Might be good to have a pet healer. Don't you think so, Thump? He laughed harshly and gestured to the other ogres. Put them back in the cage until we need them. Nezzy could feel Harks shaking with anger, and a faint heat radiated off of her. But neither of them spoke as they were pulled back through the halls and tossed back into their cell. They sat on the floor each thinking their own grim thoughts. Fries crawled out of the shadows and climbed over them. He nuzzled in between them, and Harks let out a chuckle that might have been hiding some tears. We'll think of a way out, she said. Nezzy nodded and tried to feel hopeful. But deep below ground, surrounded by ogres and far from the trees, it seemed that hope was hard to come by. Lachlan knew that Gothak and Waxham could have tracked their friends even if they hadn't had the smoke to follow. He felt good, having friends he could count on for things he wasn't so great at. But at the same time, he was deeply worried. Harks and Nezzy can take care of themselves, he thought, but he couldn't help feeling that they were in trouble. Gothak and Wax stopped when the path opened into a clearing, and Lachlan stood behind them. Here was the source of the smoke a wide-open patch of ash and earth in the middle of the forest. A fire had ripped through standing trees and fallen limbs on the west side of the clearing, and there were embers still glowing. This whole area turned to an ash pit, Lachlan thought. Silently, the three companions spread out, looking around for any signs that might tell them what had happened. Lachlan noticed that apart from the recent fire, there had been something else destroying the trees. Many of the tree stumps in the middle had no burn marks on them, just ragged slashes cut into the trunks. Lachlan tried to imagine the size an axe would have to be to make those kinds of marks, but then Gothak spoke. There was a fire here, Gothak said. The half-giant walked carefully through the destruction, reading the footprints on the ground. Little tree things, harks, nizalia. Dross, and something else over here. Wax muttered, pointing to a footprint. This was something big. Gothak walked over to stare at the print, but Lachlan stayed put. 
He wouldn't see anything in the tracks that the others couldn't see. After a moment, they turned to look at him, and he felt his stomach turn. They know what happened, but they look to me for what happens next. He was afraid for Nezzy and Harks, but he also feared that he was responsible for helping them. There was no army of paladins to save him if he messed up, and even the Frosker were far behind and heading away. Whatever has to be done, we have to do it, he thought. He closed his eyes a moment, breathing deep even though the dust and smoke made him feel like coughing. He turned things over in his mind, trying to separate what he knew from what he felt. There was a battle, but that didn't tell him much. This, whatever hurt the forest, what Nezzy felt, this must have been part of it. They came here, they fought here. If they won, they should have started going back the way we came, but they didn't. Lachlan spoke slowly, carefully, knowing that his worry wasn't going to help him right now. That means either they were captured or they won, but then they had to keep going. Either way, we have to go after them. He pointed toward the south end of the burned clearing. Whatever did this didn't sneak off through the woods. They were tearing the trees down as they went. We just have to follow the path. Hey, a path so obvious even the squire can spot it, Waxham said. But their teasing was friendlier now, with none of the anger that had been there when they'd first started out. I'll go first. I'm harder to see than either of you. We'll stay to the edge of the path and be ready to take cover if we have to. Waxham a dozen or so paces ahead, they started following the wide trail south and east. Along the path, there were no more smoldering trees, but Lachlan noticed that there were still slash marks on the trunks nearest the path. He couldn't feel what Nezzy felt, but he thought he was starting to understand it, a little bit. They couldn't have been more than a half hour down the trail from the ash pit when Wax stopped and waved Lachlan and Gothak further back. The halfling lay down and crawled into the underbrush alongside the path. I wish I could be so silent, Lachlan thought. As soon as Waxham was out of sight, it was like they had never been there at all. There was no movement in the leaves, no sound, not so much as a rustle. There was a smell on the breeze, though. A smell that reminded Lachlan of rotting onions and burnt meat. He felt a little sick to his stomach, and when Waxham crawled out of the brush again, Lachlan was glad to have something to focus on other than the stench. About two hundred paces down the path, there's a clearing. Waxham seemed nervous. There were two big somethings, I guess, at the entrance to a dirt cave. Humans? Gothak asked the question calmly. No, too big to be humans, I think. Taller and heavier. As tall as you and a lot bulkier, I think, Waxham said. The half-giant made a fist and nodded once. It doesn't matter what's out there, Lachlan thought with admiration. He'll face it. We all will. Lachlan was trying to picture the entrance, to imagine the best way to take the guards down, when Waxham cocked their head to the side, listening. Get out of sight. Something else is coming down the path behind us. Be ready, but don't come out until you hear me fire an arrow. Lachlan and Gothak hurried to follow Waxham's whispered instructions. A moment later, Lachlan could hear it too. Gruff voices and heavy plodding footfalls. Hey, what are you big oafs doing in my forest? The squire could hear the screak as the halfling drew the bowstring. Your forest? 
You hardly even throw a shadow on the ground. If you hadn't spoken up, I would have stepped on you and never even noticed. The horrible voice sounded familiar to Lachlan. Now that I've seen you, I'm still going to step on you, but I'll be sure to pay close attention. You can lift your foot as high as my head, but if you try to step on me, I'll toss you into the woods. Lachlan wondered at this. What was the halfling's plan? Oh, and I suppose after that you'll carry us home and eat us? Nah, too much work. I'll skewer you right here, then leave you for the muskraptors. There was a grunt and some heavy footsteps, and then, finally, the twang of the bowstring. Lachlan stood and jumped out of the brush, crashing into one of the two huge trolls that were trying to catch Waxham. Taken by surprise, the troll fell to one side as Lachlan drew his sword. He could hear the other troll struggling and cursing as Gothak grappled with it. The first troll was getting back onto its feet, and Lachlan knew his strength and even his sword were no match for the troll's teeth and claws. Without a thought, he flipped the sword over in his hand and turned it so that it lay sideways against the back of his shield. He called out to Orlam in his mind, a paladin battle cry that he learned from Sir Rancier, and struck the troll with the shield. This time, his faith didn't fail him. There was a flash of light and a sound like a giant bell, and the troll tumbled to the ground like a training dummy knocked off its base. Lachlan checked to see if the troll was knocked out. A smite like that could knock a person out for an hour or more, but he didn't know how well it would work on a troll. Luckily, he could tell it was unconscious from the heavy, slow breathing and the long tongue hanging out of its mouth. He heard Gothak roar and turned to see if he could help. The big guy and the troll had rolled over several times, each trying to pin the other down so they were further away than he expected. It seemed like time slowed down as he watched. The half-giant was rising from one knee, propped on his metal arm, his head down and obviously shaken. The troll was already on its feet, lifting a huge section of tree trunk over its head. The monster grunted under the weight, but it was clear he meant to smash it down on Gothak. No! Lachlan shouted, the word becoming a sort of battle cry as he tried to get to Gothak. I'll never make it in time, he thought, even as he gritted his teeth and charged toward the fight. Suddenly, a single arrow zipped over Gothak's head and found its mark. The troll shrieked in pain. The arrowhead was buried in the loose skin of its armpit. Everything went back to happening fast again. The troll lost its grip and dropped the log. It crashed down on its forehead with a thud. Gothak sprang to one side and the log fell on the troll's legs with an awful snapping sound. Yes! Lachlan turned to congratulate Waxham but the halfling was being lifted high off the ground. Three of the ogre guards were there, and one was holding wax with one hand and a long, rusty dagger in the other. Uh, they've got the troll boss and his friend. That ain't the way of things, is it, smush? A second guard stomped up beside the first, letting his huge axe drag behind him. Nasty bit of work, Crush, Smush answered, chuckling to herself. Good thing we came in to save the day. Lachlan started to raise his sword, but the ogre called Crush shook Waxham violently. No, boy, stay right where you are and put your little toys down before your friend gets hurt. The ogre brought the blade to Waxham's cheek. The dagger was roughly made and most of the blade was covered with rust, but the edge was gleaming and sharp. 
And trust me, I know how to make it hurt. Dinner time, came a laughing bellow, shaking dirt from the walls. Nezzy and Harks looked at each other, fear in their eyes, as Lash and Thump lumbered into the room. Thump grabbed the girls by the arms and hauled them towards the door. The troll boss Grezzo is almost here and we got word he wants dinner ready. That's right, said Lash. And he also said he only needs the elf. The fiery one will make a spicy stew. Nezzy felt fear twist in her guts, but Harks leaned into her comfortingly. Don't worry, Harks whispered. Fire is my domain. If they try and cook me, then I'll give them a warmer welcome than they'd like. Nezzy nodded, but she just wasn't sure. Harks was certainly good at starting fires and even making them bigger, but putting them out wasn't her strong suit. Nezzy thought she could help them escape with some magic of her own, but she wasn't sure how. She knew her mother could have ripped open the rocks and ousted the ogres easy as sprouting a seed, but she wasn't her mother as much as she wanted to be. No fire business, eh? Lash said, pulling out a heavy length of chain. I know what you can do when your hands are free. He wrapped the chain around and around the sorceress's wrists and hands until they were encased in metal. Nezzy nearly cried, but Harks only glared as the ogres dragged them into a new tunnel. This one emerged into a cavern with a high ceiling that was swimming with wood smoke. Crude tables with stone stools lined the walls, and in the center was a giant fire pit. It was deep and lined with rocks, and flames were leaping from the crisscrossed tangle of logs inside. A loose group of hooting and cheering ogres followed them in and took seats at the tables. One dropped a heavy barrel of some foaming drink and began to pass around mugs. Two others carried a pot of water as big as a bathtub and nestled it into the flames. The girls were held tightly by Lash as the others began to stomp and sing, the whole cavern joining in. Get yourself a perfect bite. Make sure me to put up a fight. Swish and break and smush and munch. Meat for dinner, meat for lunch. Augustine's a winner. And your watch for dinner. Put the stew pot onto boil, fry the bones in ogre oil, stir the cauldron that you spice, worms and onions make it nice. Ogre stew's a winner, and you'll watch for dinner. Ogre stew's a winner, and you'll watch for dinner. This is a party for them, Nezzy said, amazed and disgusted. Cooking you is a party. Don't worry, said Harks, but Nezzy could see the fear in her friend's eyes. It's a surprise party, and the surprise is on them. Come on, spicy one, said Lash, hauling Harks away from Nezzy. Time to get you into the pot. He ripped her out of Nezzy's grasp and dragged her bodily across the dirty floor of the cavern. Nezzy tried to follow, but Thump grabbed her by the shoulders and held her in place. Oh, sorry, little elf, he chortled. The Trobos wants you uncooked, at least for now. Nezzy tried to muster some magic, but it was buried under her fear, her doubt, her anxiety. 
Her friend, her best friend, was about to be cooked into a stew. Lash got right up to the roaring fire, the pot already beginning to boil, and hefted harks in his heavy hands. Ready for your bath? Sure thing, said Harks. But first, I have a question. The ogres all laughed. Supper as a question, he laughed. What is it then? Harks smiled wickedly, and the chains around her hands began to glow. They went from dark iron to a dull red, and brighter still until they were a blistering yellow. What? Stop! Lash snarled. We won't be your prisoners anymore, Hark spat, and her arms burst into flames from the shoulders to the tips of her fingers. The chain started to melt and turned into a molten liquid that pattered to the floor, hissing. Harks raised her hands, free now and burning bright as the sun. She roared. We won't be your prisoners anymore! The fire roared with her and leapt from the pit under the pot. Cascades of burning flame rolled out like waves on the shore, cooking and crackling. Enough! shouted Lash, shaking Harks, his skin searing. Stop that! Harks screamed and the fiery waves ran together and coiled into rough-shaped dragons. The ogres stumbled off their stone stools and pressed against the dirt walls of the cave. Nezzy watched in awe as the flames snapped and lashed out, burning ogres and sending them stumbling, but never coming close to Nezzy or Harks herself. Her control is getting better, Nezzy thought, hope blooming like a flower in her chest. Maybe she can get us out of this. Enough of that! Lash yelled as a coil of flame brushed his newly healed arm, burning it worse than before. He reached through Harks's fire and clubbed her roughly on the side of the head. Nezzy cried out and tried to go to her friend, but Thump still held her tight. Harks passed out cold, slumping in Lash's arms, and the flames around the room died out. Some of the ogres were burned, but they were all still hungry and angry now, too. All right, everyone, Lash shouted, hefting Harks over his shoulder. Soup's on! The ogres cheered and stomped and started singing again as Lash lifted Harks over the giant boiling pot. Nezzy felt a tickle against her leg and she saw fries crawl out from the hem of her pants. The little salamandrake ran up her side and then on to Thump's face, where it belched a little gout of white-hot fire up the ogre's nostril. Oh! The ogre roared, dropping Nezzy and slapping at his nose. Nezzy hit the ground, and without thinking, she reached out to Harks, hanging over the boiling pot. Lash let her go, and she dropped towards the bubbling water. No! Nezzy screamed, and beyond fear and worry, the power erupted out from her. A crackling vein of ice snaked across the floor, doused the fire under the pit, and climbed into the pot itself. When Harks dropped, instead of boiling water, she fell lightly into a pot of soft, slushy snow. More soup! Lash bellowed. You'll pay for that one, elf girl! Nezzy felt her fear and uncertainty stab at her again, but then, in a quiet, secret place in her heart, she felt her mother there beside her. Without knowing how, Nezzy called for her wand, the branch that had grown from her mother's tree. 
In the space of a breath, it sank into the muddy floor of the ogre stone room and grew tall at Nezzy's feet, gleaming green with power. What magic is this? Lash bellowed. My mother's magic, Nezzy said calmly, bending to grab her wand. When she touched it, she felt her fear and worry drop away. My magic! She closed her eyes and opened them as orbs of pure spring-growth green, the light of them spilling from her face like a mist. She laughed then, loud and pure. How could I ever have been afraid in these caves? She asked herself. There was stone at her side, dirt at her feet, and old strong roots from the trees above. This was nature, and Nezzy belonged like a bee in a flower and her power bloomed. With deafening cracks, roots broke from the ceiling and walls of stone, snaring the ogres and holding them tight. Bits of rock exploded with the pressure and flew in all directions. Thump was lashed and pulled into the mud of the floor. Lash fought his way free and charged at Nezzy, but a patch of brambles bloomed in his path. The ogre stumbled into them as thorns swelled and hooked and held him. He tried to scream, but they filled his mouth and slammed it shut. Nezzy walked calmly across the room, stepping on Lash's face as she passed him. Beams of green light swirled out from her, and wherever they touched the walls, more roots crashed in. She made it to the pot and reached in, laying a smooth palm across Harx's bruised forehead. The bruise retreated, and Harx's bleary eyes snapped open looking up into Nezzy's own eyes, still glowing pure and green. What? What's happening? Did they call off the party? Nezzy plucked a sorbus bloomberry from Harx's hair and dropped it into the pot beneath them. Immediately, it took root and started to grow. Surprise, Nezzy said gently. And then the roots cracked the ceiling open, letting in the natural light from above. The twig below sprouted into a tree trunk with thick branches that gently cradled Nezzy and Harks. They joined hands and bathed in sunlight, upward they bloomed. The ogre that had Waxham in his hand grinned viciously at Lachlan. Off to the side, he saw that the troll with the broken legs had grabbed Gothak's ankle just as another ogre guard charged at the half-giant. Gothak went down hard and the ogre simply fell on him. The big guy let out a woof as all his breath was squeezed out in a gulp. I should put him down, the ogre said to Lachlan. Sword and shield. Then maybe we'll let you work in the kitchen scrubbing the pots instead of boiling you in one. Lachlan, Lachlan knew his duty. As a sworn member of the sacred gauntlet, he had to fight to the end, even against hopeless odds but not if it meant sacrificing someone else. Orlam, shield us, he thought. He knew that the ogres would go back on their word if they felt like it, but he would fight that battle when he came to it. This was a chance to keep his friends alive, so he had to take it. He held the sword out to one side and the shield out to the other and let them both drop. There, I did what you wanted. I think I'll do what I want too. The ogre tossed Waxham to one of the other guards. The guard almost dropped them, but managed to hold on, and the halfling was almost completely hidden within those big, dirty hands. The first ogre walked over to Lachlan and grabbed him by the feet. 
In an instant, the squire found himself dangling upside down behind the ogre's back. He could see that the rest of the ogres were working to tie Gothak up securely with some heavy chains. Even in that hopeless moment, Lachlan couldn't help smiling when he noticed that one of the ogres and the big boss troll were still down. He had delivered a mighty smite worthy of a paladin, fueled by his belief. That belief had been a little shaky ever since, since Sarancier, but Lachlan was learning that even though his master had fallen, his own faith was made of stronger steel. What about Fosh Grejo? One of the ogres said, nudging the unconscious troll. Why well, ain't carrying no trolls, another answered. We could send some others out to see to them after these ones are in a cell. The one who held Waxham laughed an ugly laugh. In a cell or in a soup, maybe. <laughs> Lachlan stopped listening. Something is happening, he thought. The Wilderwood had fallen silent around them. It was never silent. A moment later, a roaring rumble ripped through the earth. Trees swayed and strange birds took screaming to the sky. Rocks rattled and stones shook. The ogres stumbled and shouted over each other. Eh, no, I didn't think they had dirt shakers in the woods. Could be a pitworm. Sounds like an army marching. Let's get back inside before... A pillar of green light split the earth and pierced the sky. The earthquake grew stronger. The ogre carrying Lachlan fell to his knees and almost dropped him. Lachlan tried to fight free and then froze, staring at the trees. All the sobbing Sorbus were reaching their branches inward, stretched toward the green light, as if the whole Wilderwood was being drawn in. The light grew brighter, the shaking more violent. The roar was endless and cracking and sharp. Lachlan fell to the ground with a thud and rolled away from the ogre's flailing arms. Dirt and rock flew into the air fast and far as arrows. The ground ripped open and the lance of green light burst outward. A tangle of roots and branches clawed free of the hole and wound themselves around the nearest ogre. The monster bellowed and rolled, but it made no difference. The tangle of roots and green light turned into a tree as it grew and grew, taller and thicker, until the ogre was hidden, trapped within. Lachlan rolled to his feet and looked around. No roots reached out for him, but he could see that the other ogres were being snared and dragged into the ground. Wax was free as well, and they skipped nimbly over to Lachlan's side. The two of them turned to Gothak just in time to see a mass of roots rise up around the half-giant. But rather than swallowing him up, this growth tangled through his chains and ripped them apart. The roots grew up and away from Gothak, helping lift him to his feet. Lachlan could see a large figure running away into the woods. The troll woke up, he thought. But before he could think any further, he heard Waxham Whistlewood's voice rising over the noise. It's them. Lachlan turned back and saw that the new tree was still growing, shining with green light. It was swelling into the sky with branches springing out on all sides. When the tree stopped growing, he saw that Hark sat on one of the bottom branches, holding onto the tree trunk with a wild grin plastered on her dirty face. The light started to dim and Lachlan realized that what he had thought was part of the tree was actually a separate light 
hovering above the ground and vibrating as its magic worked. Her magic, he realized. It's Nezzy. She was rising with the green, blazing with power. And under her brilliant gaze, the earth healed itself. The magical branches and roots drew down into the mud and the ground closed up over them. The low rumbling continued as each of the trapped ogres disappeared underground. The dirt smoothed itself over as the holes closed up and then soft grass grew until there was no sign of a disturbance. Nezzy floated gently toward the ground. When her bare feet touched the grass, the pillar of green light disappeared. The new tree stood there, mighty and peaceful all at once, as if it had been growing there for a hundred years, shimmering with power. Nezzy staggered as she released her spell. Harks hopped down off her branch and caught the elf girl under one arm as Lachlan, Gothak, and Wax looked on, mouths agape. Oh, hey, gang, Harks said, pulling a handful of bloomberries from her pocket and popping one in her mouth. Anybody want a snack? There was a pause, and then Waxham laughed and ran to the girls. Gothak and Lachlan hid a second later, and they all stood together, hugging and laughing and celebrating. And later that night, they all made it to Shimmerhold, where Osla and their destinies awaited. Epilogue And elsewhere, deep in the Wilderwood, past the towering trees, beyond the sailors of the Vine Sea and the elves of the Wayward Dawn, there is a swamp. The waters are salty and stale, leached in from a dead sea. The smell is brackish and foul. The taste is a poison more deadly than any venom. It's a wasteland, a barren, a place of death and ashes. And in its center, there is a slender spire of stone. A tower with rooms full of magic and horror. Cages holding mutated creatures. Alchemical labs where cauldrons bubble and burn and hiss and spit. Chambers with runes so dark they seem to suck the light out of your twinkling eyes. The tower, too, is a place of death. And at its peak, in a chamber of old stone banded with black iron, the warlock sits. His chair is comfortable, his desk clean and smooth. Before him is opened a book. Not just any book, but the book he worked so hard to steal from Gorson and Shalsani and Babadin the Bright. The translation is coming slowly, like dripping water wearing away strong stone, but it's coming. And once it's complete, the power will be his. Suddenly, he doubles over in pain. Coughing and spluttering, he hacks out a mouthful of black bile and spits it into an ornate jar. The Wilderwood is exalting, and the song of it makes him sick. He had thought the problem was solved when he'd defeated Shalsani, but her daughter, the little elf, her power is growing. Soon she may be as strong as her mother. That cannot be allowed. He rings a black bell. It's quiet as carrion, but his servants hear its call. A minute later, the door to his chamber opens. In walks Sir Ranseer, once a paladin devoted to Orlam and now 
a paladin devoted to the warlock. His red gauntlet has been swapped for one of deepest black, and his face is lined and pale. Yes, master, what can I do for you? He says, sinking to one knee. The children, they are causing trouble. Would you like me to deal with them? Sir Rancier asks, his black fist tightening on the hilt of his sword. No, I need you here. Send Blightwin, the gnome. Tell him it's time for his new machine. Yes, master. I won't have that little druid bringing the Wilderwood to bear against us. Make sure he knows the importance of this mission. And make sure there are no survivors. Yes, master. The warlock cocks his head. Do you worry for the boy? Your squire, I believe? No, master. Good. Then, see it is done. Sir Rancier nods and leaves the room. One problem solved. The gnome has never failed. Satisfied, the warlock turns back to his book. His mind begins to move once more in translation a dread power burning in his eyes, his pointed teeth showing behind a slow, spreading smile. The End For Now Today's story, the second part of the Wilderwood Book 2, Chapter 7, was an original story co-written for you by Daniel Hines and Joseph Montebello, edited and produced for you by Andrew Martin, and performed for you by me, Amanda Weldon, with original songs by me and Dan. If you would like to support Stories Podcast, you can leave us a five-star review on iTunes, get ad-free episodes and early access when you subscribe to our Wondery Plus Kids feed on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, check out all of our merch available at storiespodcast.com shop, commission a special video on Cameo, follow us on Instagram at storiespodcast, or simply tell your friends about us. Thanks for listening! Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Stories Podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen early and ad-free with Wondery Plus Kids in Apple Podcasts. Grown-ups, before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, everyone. I'm excited to tell you about the brand new season of the podcast, Music Land Stories. Musicland Stories is a weekly podcast for kids that takes you on an adventure through the universe of Musicland. The musical Easter eggs and epic stories are sure to be tons of fun for the whole family. Take a listen to what's in store. I'm the conductor, and now, on a brand new season of Musicland Stories, I'm going to take you all the way down to the ocean floor of the deep blue sea. And I've recruited a new crew of sonic expeditioners that I can't wait for you to meet. Together, we're on an underwater odyssey to capture the song of the last Leviathan, a giant sea creature who splished and splashed beneath the sea for thousands and thousands of years. Listen to the newest season of Music Land Stories, airing weekly every Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.